Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright, this is my first time going live at this point. Uh, we haven't had a chance to do much on this platform yet. I'm going to invite a few more people and maybe um, get a few people to join. Let me see. You get Zach in here. He's backstage, but uh, I don't know how to get him in. Oh, here we go. What's up? What up, Sammy? All season. Sammy Buckets, AK. I'm just kidding. That is gonna... more energy than I've seen from you for a while. Are you are you feeling okay on this election day? I just went for a run, so I feel pretty good right now. I may crash in like 10 or 15, but... I will say I that feel... a run before you podcast is a good idea. I think uh, we're usually podcasting Sunday nights, which might be the most fatigued evening yeah. of the week. <laughs> Before you're just battered by the weekend and the fun you had and, and the upcoming thought about the, the week starting. And so maybe we need to switch that now that I'm thinking about it. Now that I'm I'm brainstorming here a lot. Yeah, midday. This is, let's say, Tuesday. It's not quite the very middle of the week, but it's pretty close. So this we, we are the backdoor cut uh we are a show on the barn burner which is a, a website we created at d barnburnercom we are mostly based in memphis and we are mostly going to talk memphis grizzlies but we really just kind of go about the nba in general too uh and that's something we plan to do we have been doing on our podcast you can find on um, dash radio and nothing but net challenge you can also find it on all the, plat- the platforms you get your podcasts on but we have now moved to this platform this is a new new kind of venture uh, well, maybe we can connect with other people that we haven't had a chance to talk with uh, in the NBA journalism community, so to speak. We're amateurs for the most part. We have day jobs, but we enjoy it. Is there anything in particular you want to talk uh, talk about on this on this pod today? If it's even a pod, I don't know what this is. What do we call this? Uh, so the way I described it to you last night, I believe, when trying to uh, articulate what it was, at least the platform, I what I say, radio show slash Twitter slash um, podcast platform. It's kind of how I have uh, put it together. What we could talk about, uh, something we talked about this morning in our group text is Hollinger's article of the best sh- free agent shooting guards uh, and kind of some of their value 
uh, that he published this morning using some super fancy formula that uh, clearly has a lot of flaws. And now I'm second guessing ever citing PER as a metric ever. But <laughs> what, what's the newest acronym? It starts with a B, right? Yeah, it's B-O-R-D dollar sign. Oh, so is the, is the dollar sign an S? Are we supposed to pronounce that Boars? Or is uh, it? So there's a whole a whole article on it. I didn't read that one. I think I've read it in the past. Uh, he uses it. Oh, my. He uses something called B-O-R-G. And then this B-O-R-D dollar sign. So he, uh, he posted this yesterday. So there's some background research, I guess, uh, we could do. Oh, good. It has, it tells you what the acronym means. So it's Borg is big old rating. Okay. Okay. So it estimates. Is that actually, player, that's actually what it is? Yeah. Ol as in O-L apostrophe. Okay. And those joining, welcome. We were talking about Hollinger, John Hollinger, former Grizzlies exec, his new system uh, for which he evaluates free agent players and and it, it, the 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 name is B O R uh, dollar sign and I think it uh, it's it's big old rating which is insane. Well, well, that's one of them. So there's two of them. The Borg, the big Welcome old rating. Welcome Sean Coleman, by the way. Welcome Sean Coleman. Sean, if so you want to talk, man, we can invite you in. No doubt. The so the Borg estimates each player's value on a per possession basis. Okay, got it. Then he uses that rating and an estimate of each player's likely minutes to determine a dollar value for his 2020-2021 season using the the BORD dollar sign. So that stands for Big Ol' Rating Dollars. We're welcoming uh, Sean into the show here. Oh, awesome. What up? Hey, it's good to actually put faces... I don't necessarily know in your case, Sam bodies with Twitter <laughs> accounts that I've come to enjoy over the past few years. What's up guys. What's up, man? How you doing? Doing good. I, I, I follow, I believe I followed. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I've followed both of y'all. I, uh, I do some riding over at grizzly bear blues. And then now uh, I, I do, I host the locked on grizzlies podcast. So um, I, I'm familiar with both of your work. So it's nice to put uh, faces with names. And good work. Yeah, same. Yeah, same. Well, we appreciate that. And we've we've followed you as well. I know uh, Mark King over there, Lockdown Grizzlies, is doing it for the longest time. So Mark's a colleague of ours, um, going back to college even. So what what is uh, – we're talking about the new Hollinger thing. Did you read this article yet? Yeah, I read it. And it's just – it's it, it, it it's a bit far-fetched. But that, that's Hollinger, and it's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's Hollinger um, in, in terms of – I think that – you know, I, I love – statistics i love to read about them and get to know them and things such as that but sometimes i think that you can lose some practicality and just get too analytical and i think in that case you know you basically are are, are completely you know disregarding you know the fact that you know melton as a across the board contributor is great but it's kind of like my concern with okoro in this upcoming draft you know doing stuff across the board is excellent it has value it's wonderful but to stay on the court for long periods of time, you've got to be able to contribute on both ends of the court. And as a secondary playmaker, that's fine, but that's really where Melton is capped right now, unless you're in transition a lot, which you're going to be more in the second unit. So I can, you can analyze what he does across the board all day long. 
But with his lack of shooting ability and the fact that he's never really had the volume or had the approach of being a shooter to get the repetitions to become better, even though he's 22, 15 million is just outrageous to me. I feel like this metric that Hollinger's got with the the dollar value assigned to people would have Shane Battier at like 30 million or something like this, Agreed. the way that it must be set up. It's all about complimentary. It's paying, it's paying for a complimentary piece. And while Melton is wonderful, the other thing to consider is this Melton on his contract last year was extremely valuable because you're not paying him a lot. Melton at 15 million, may be doing a little bit better than he did last year. That's nowhere near as valuable. No, you just I you think, just can't pay someone who's likely going to come off the bench. To I mean, that'd be one of the highest paid players on the team, and that's that's what Bobby Marks had Melton pegged at like six or eight, I think. I think he yeah, had three, three years, years. At six or something like that. Yeah, yeah, three years, eighteen. I mean, like the, I think this this doesn't account for. I mean, as 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 metrically advanced as Hollinger is, and as brilliant as you know that is, it doesn't account for also the fact that there could be a team out there that's going to pay Melton this because they just have the space. Like the one, something we were discussing earlier was that the Hawks are obviously the, the free space darling. And then the, the, uh, the Hornets also have some space. So these are teams that are typically, you know, no, no disrespect, but typically aren't run as, as savvily as other teams in the league and have the money to spend. Uh, and so I could see them throwing some money at a player like Melton, whose name starting to get out there to some degree as some sort of advanced metric darling. But I, you know, I don't know. And I, you can't really anticipate what any of these teams are going to do with their cap space. Uh, you know, who thought the Batum would get the contract he did? And look who gave it to him. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, I do think, you know, if you I, – I was okay with going, you know, maybe 325 to, you know, 430 here. I'm going to have to hop off. I'll be right back going in a second, guys. All right. See you later, Sean. And he will be back. Um, Zach, what are some other things that you saw in this article that you wanted to discuss? So we got so Melton was the uh, the high like the highest valued with the Borg dollar sign metric at fifteen and surprisingly uh, Bogdanovich of the Kings Bogdanovich was lower than him at thirteen four uh, which I think I mean I don't know what he's going to kind of get on the market uh, he's a restricted free agent but. I mean, it, his game is super valuable in today's league, which is pretty much him and he and Melton have nothing in common, really, as far as the way that they play. Um, but I, I guess that maybe the metric doesn't factor in. Maybe maybe keep some of those more old school metrics as opposed to valuing uh, some of them three point shooting and that kind of stuff. Maybe a little heavier. Not sure. Uh, yeah, I I don't necessarily disagree with PER and these metrics. I mean, obviously, when you look at like <laughs> it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy because I always look at basketball reference pages of these people, and I'm like looking at Giannis, and Giannis has like an insanely good PER, and I'm like, oh okay, yeah, that makes sense because uh, he's Giannis and he does all the things he does. Uh, but I haven't seen like it's rare that you see like the guy that has a high PER that like the doesn't put up counting stats, so they kind of yeah. just like support each other and. PER is like they, what I always compare it to, and I'm probably not the first person to do this. It's like a ACT composite score, you know. It's like it's just a simple number that's out there that you can just sort of like if you're a, if you get a 30 on your ACT, you're smart, and if you get a 30 PER, you're incredible. So it's like 
uh, as simple as that maybe, and probably an oversimplification of basketball players, which are as human beings, you know, just like have so many different things they could do well on a basketball court. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so he, he did break it down into kind of categories. So he had, this is shooting guards. He did point guards uh, yesterday, but for tier one, which is the highest paid uh, category. So those would be max guys. There weren't any on the market this year for tier two. So he has more than the MLE, which is nine, three this year, less than the max Melton leading that group. Then bogey. Then he had Fournier Hardaway jr. And Chris Dunn kind of in that category. And those are all guys making, he had them all slated 12 to 15 for their value. And yeah, I, I think all, all of those players are likely going to stay where they're at because Melton, Bogey, and uh, Dunn, those are all restricted guys. And then Fournier and Hardaway have uh, player options as well. Uh, so you, you probably see all those guys picking it up, especially this season with all the uncertainty um, you know, going into the offseason. And then his – his next level that he's got is the the mid-level guy. So he's got Clarkson, which I think he looks like he's unrestricted. Uh, Shaquille Harrison, restricted. And that was kind of the only guys in that group. And his tier four, so less than the MLE, more than the minimum. We got Michael Carter-Williams, Alec Burks, Malik Beasley, who... He only had graded in at six million, uh, right about for Malik Beasley. Beasley. Yeah. Must have factored in the the weed stuff. You know, obviously, you know, well, your weed dealer is going to take up some of your um, your cap space, so you got to keep that guy on on the on the on the payroll too. Ironically, he had a note in the bottom of his portion about Beasley that said, "The board dollar sign does not consider this, but the Beasley's market will likely also suffer as a result from his." recent felony charges against him. So advanced analytics are great, but they can't take into account uh, every single factor. No, they can't. And that's the human being factor. Um, what, 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 what would you be comfortable giving DeAnthony Melton uh, on a, on a deal and welcome Courtney, by the way, we appreciate you listening. Let us know if you want to jump on and talk about whatever. Um, what would you feel comfortable giving DeAnthony Melton in terms of like, you know, years and money. What, what what would you do if you're the Memphis Grizzlies front office? Mm, I think anywhere in that, like uh, 10 would kind of be like the ceiling. I think I would want to pay him in a season. And I think if you could get him for like on a three-year contract, I think that's probably a pretty healthy deal. I mean, it, since he's so young, it really would be helpful for him to play alongside, you know, that core group that Memphis has for, at least that amount of time. And I think that's a pretty good, I don't think you want to pay much more than that for a guy that at least on this roster is going to come off the bench. If any roster where Melton's really going to be called upon to do much on, on offense. And if he's going to maybe get starter minutes, that's probably not a great team because I mean, so Melton great on defense, but Memphis kind of has a few redundant guys who are, good on defense, strong on defense, but weak on offense, like Kyle Anderson. And then, you know, jury's still out on uh, Winslow as well. 
And so that kind of makes Melton that third guy who can kind of guard the wings, but is not really that proficient at offense yet at, at this point. So you, I don't think you can have too many of those guys, you know, making too much money on your team or else you can kind of, you get a real big log jam. And I mean, we've, we've had plenty of teams in Memphis where defense has been that specialty and, you know, we've thrived on that, but I don't, I don't think that those teams of the past eras would, you know, be able to hold up too well. And as we saw, they had their limitations as well, even in their own era where they were very successful. Uh, so roundabout way of saying, I think eight to 10 is kind of that ceiling that I would want to pay for Melton. I am curious to see what, what kind of offer sheets he gets from folks. Um, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, he, he's, you know, like it, what happens with these guys is they could get bid up and then it's like, if you ever been like a silent auction or something and you bid on something that you don't need, but then you start getting bid up and you start wanting it more because like that's happening. Someone, uh, cause someone else wants it. Yeah. And, and so other teams, I guess, strategically even do this. I mean, when they, when you have like a restricted free agent like that, they'll bid up the guy and then but ultimately someone's going to get stuck with them at whatever salary. So I think it's, it's smart to go ahead and establish that before as a front office. And no doubt they will like what the top dollar amount is for, someone like D'Anthony Melton and what they're willing to pay. So they don't end up with like some, I don't know, some like stained wooden shelf with Mason jars on it and uh, that they don't need. Uh, but the fact that someone else bid on them, they ended up with it. Not to compare D'Anthony Melton to such an, to such an antique, but he's 22. So if you get him for three years, you're like pretty happy about the timeline there. And Sean, if you're trying to talk, you're muted. I don't know if you're still on another call or whatever. Um, Just let yeah. y'all talk. I'll, I'll, Oh yeah, yeah. So it's it is a uh, it's a question of he fits the timeline for sure. He doesn't do a lot of things that that future NBA players want to do. But if you're getting him for six or seven, you could live with that. And I, I mean, I don't think he's anywhere near worth fifteen. But then I could be laughing at myself later when all of a sudden he j- develops a jump shot and he ends up becoming like you know like a, a starting caliber player on a good team. But I don't really know what to expect, and I don't think anyone does with the way the cap's dipping and with what we don't know with in terms of who's going to be free agents, who's going to opt in, who's going to opt out. Um, but who knows? I, I don't I don't anticipate Kyle Anderson spending a lot more time on this team if there's a deal to be had for him. Is it weird that the most intriguing time that I watched Anthony Melton was during the scrimmages in the bubble, especially that first half against the Heat, when the Grizzlies looked so good on offense and such a flow, and him and Kyle Anderson were hitting those spot-up three-point shots, the catch-and-shoot options, and then from there it just disappeared. And that brought into question how good is Melton without Tyus Jones and why he truly is a bench piece. If you could get Anthony Melton doing that, and I think that he shot 38% on catch-and-shoot three-point opportunities, that's pretty encouraging. And he also can move the ball as a secondary playmaker, so that also is encouraging. But, you know, is it enough to where if you're looking at 325, three three years 25 million like Zach had talked about, and then all of a sudden comes in, a team comes in and offers four for 42, are you comfortable with that extra year and 17 million more? I don't know. Especially when, you know, kind of you have different skill sets, but the overall ceiling as a fringe spot starter versus ideal reserve contributor the Grizzlies have a ton, a lot of those already. Kyle Anderson, you know, Dylan Brooks, Grayson Allen, uh, Anthony Melton. Do you really want to commit to that? I mean, there's still tradable pieces, and I think Melton long term is a better fit for what this team needs than Dylan. But I don't know if you believe in his talent enough to go from like a 325 commitment 
to a 442 commitment, which I could see a rebuilding team, you know, a team that's, you know, farther along or, or still in the beginning stages of its rebuild. I could see them off that over the Grizzlies. Yeah, and the Grizzlies have to be aware when to say no, I guess, if that starts happening. He, his, his price starts getting bid up. And at what point is that? That's, I guess, the, the magic number or whatever you have to figure out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to expect in terms of DeAnthony Melton's free agency. What? So you mentioned Dylan, and I'm, I'm, well, I guess one thing. Let me mention real quick is that, like, one thing I read one at one point was with respect to the money offered to free agents is that like it's a good barometer to have per million be a point per game. So if you score nine points per game, then you should be getting paid nine million a year. And that's you earning your money. Now, of course, that fluctuates based on defense and the other intangibles you might bring. But it's actually been a weirdly positive way to think about what a guy's worth. Uh, and I know that obviously when you get into Supermax, like if you're making 40-something a year, there's no way you're averaging 40-something points per game. And that's different. But just for your run-of-the-mill role player, that's somewhat of a barometer. And so I've always liked that. Uh, and so it's something I think about. Uh, the Dylan Brooks thing. I, I don't. I'm like the most anti-Dylan. I like head up the picket <laughs> on the, like we go down to whatever bars he likes to go to and meet his Instagram models. I'm like standing outside with a white sign that says like, stop shooting Dylan on it or whatever, or stop having kids. But like, I'm anti-Dylan. I don't Sean, how do you feel about Dylan Brooks, his current fit with the roster and then his fit going forth? Well, he's an ideal six man. And I, I also am against, the Dylan Brooks hype to an extent of he could fill in as a starter. I mean, when you the thing about Dylan Brooks is that the overall result doesn't tell the whole story with him. Like, for instance, in the bubble, he shot 44% and I think averaged like maybe 20 points a game. You would look at that and you would think that would be an improvement, but it's not. The downside that is a real possibility with Dylan is a, is a lot of times not worth investing into, in my opinion, than the ceiling he brings. When it comes to, Dylan, you have too many games against quality opponents in which, okay, you look at the turnover battle, the Grizzlies may win it like, what, you know, 18 to 15. But then you look at Dylan taking these bad shots, and that's 8 to 10 more wasted possessions. You've actually lost the turnover battle due to his bad decision-making. That's one aspect of it. The other thing about it is, let's think when he got his extension. It was at the very end of January, beginning of February. If you look at the Grizzlies' season, from the start of it through November, then through December and January, and then from February on, Dylan was a whole lot better in December and January. Why? Because the Grizzlies played 11 out of 30 um, teams that were at 500 or above, or that were, bu- were bubble-worthy. So my thing is, is that Dylan does stand out. And he, for the Grizzlies is a needed component right now because he's the true mid-range threat that we have, which you need for spacing. But he's more the the, the, the guy that just makes the most sense than, an, than a guy that ideally fits it. So I think that his $10 million a year contract is fine if you use him in spurts as a sixth man. You want to make him the sixth man after finding a true number two to put next to Ja, who I think is an elite 3 and D guy? That's fine. But I think that Dylan Brooks, if you're looking for him to be more than he is now, it's hard for me to expect that. I want his decision-making to improve. I love his effort on defense at times. And when he's going good, we can we can play with almost anybody. But it's so hard to predict that and so hard to invest in it. So overall, I think that there's more hype around Dylan than should be. He's just too inconsistent with too low of a ceiling for me to be able to accept it and like it. Yeah, I I, I mean, my, my thing with Dylan is that it's like at some point – You've got to just call a spade a spade. And, Agreed. And he he is – I don't like when I have to, like, clarify or disclaim a trillion things to get to him being a good player. 
So I don't like, I'm like, if you would do this and that and that, yeah. then you'd be great. And that's just what I find myself doing with him and find everyone like Dylan apologists out there, of which there are, I think maybe probably more than people that dislike him. And it's like, I just don't know if he will ever do those things because he's never done them. For example, I don't think he'll ever just recklessly stop or stop recklessly driving to the rim with the ball tucked under his arm and like put up a shot with no chance of going in. Um, and people applaud his tenacity. And I get that. You need guys that want to like get out there and create and compete on both ends of the floor, which he does. But it's to some degree, it's, it's just not his just not his strong suits. And if he would just stand there and shoot the ball instead of doing the dumb things he does, that would be awesome. But also, you know, if, if um, that's really you know, a if, big if if he stands there and shoots the ball like he's supposed to, like give that guy thirty minutes a game. But it's when he does all the other stuff, the the negatives that he brings in, tucking the ball like you said, that really takes away from it, from his. Yeah, value. he's been doing this for a long time. He's been at Oregon. This is something that our college basketball podcast guys brought up: is that like in the Final Four, he shot them out of a championship game. And it's like he, he may have gotten him there a couple games, you know, when he was hitting shots. But it's it, like when it counted the most, he kept doing the dumb things that drive us insane now in the NBA. And I I, I don't I, he might already be at his ceiling, 16 points a game inefficiently. That might be kind of what we can expect from him just because of the kind of player he is. He just has no interest, it seems like, in kind of relegating himself to a role player. And I, I, that's a dangerous combination to me is when you're you think you're way better than you are. Um, and you're, but you're still given the attempts, uh, and it doesn't seem like our guys on the team are old enough to maybe pare them down. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that'll happen at some point, but I, I haven't seen it yet in terms of the culture of the team. And really, like honestly, he doesn't seem like he hangs out with the team that much. We see Justice and Jaron on social media, pals, John, Jaron, and it just seems like Dylan isn't part of that picture as much. And maybe I read into that more than other people because I'm a millennial. But there's something to that, I think. Down but two. go ahead. He's Zach. part of the big. He's part of the big, the self-proclaimed big three in Memphis. So, I mean, yeah, say <laughs> overinflated ego. <laughs> I don't know what does. I mean, you know, like confidence is key, and the power of positive thinking, and all those idioms go are, are a thing because they are a thing. But it, at some point, it, it just detracts. Well, and I think Dylan also shows a good example that. Hey, when he does what you would like for him to do, he shows just how truly valuable a good shooter would be in Memphis. It's not even necessarily, you know, it just, you know, it's a, you know, that's a duh comment. But really, if the Grizzlies were to have a shooter, they would be a perennial playoff contender at this point, even with how young they are. We were not in one when Dylan made four or more threes, I think 18 and four when he may had 20 or more points. So when he's on, the Grizzlies truly can play at a playoff type level team, even to the extent, in my opinion, of playing with the team in the first round and maybe upsetting that team. But of course, you got to have Dylan doing that consistently. And that's not something you're going to get. He can single-handedly lose you games while being a you know, a third or fourth needed component to win you games. And if that's the case, if that's how your value is measured, I just don't think you invest in that long term. And I think that's why the Grizzlies gave him this contract. If he turns into a six man due to them finding a long term complement to Jaw, great. His $10 million also is still a tradable asset. And there's still enough intrigue to where if they want to include him in part of a package to deal him for a better version of himself in the future, they can do that as well. So there's still value in Dylan's game. But I agree with you, Sam and, and Zach. He is what he is calling that. It's a streaky type player, 
But at the end of the day, he probably is going to disappoint you more than benefit you overall. I think he's probably a good trade piece, too. Weirdly, I think he has, like, a lot of value to other teams because they just don't watch him in and out. They might see a few, like, highlights on just maybe him hitting hitting three or four threes, uh, and they see this counting stats, and they're like, oh, that's pretty good, maybe a little inefficient, but maybe he has to do too much on a bad team uh, or a young team. And I think that he somehow has value. Like I, for example, the, the, the famous Brooks trade, the Ron Brooks, um, which, you know, was the, <laughs> probably one of the more dramatic nights in Grizzlies trade history where, you know, the, the Grizzlies thought they were going to get Kelly Oubre and, and the, the Wizards or the, the Suns, I think, were involved in the deal. One of those two teams thought they were going to get Dylan Brooks. And of course, we were proposing Marshawn Brooks. Uh, and, and they are willing to trade Oubre for who, who may have been an expiring, uh, or, or close to an expiring, but still like a, you know, a lottery talent pick who we see kind of doing what we wish Dylan would do on the Suns, and uh, they were going to get Dylan in return. So they, they obviously value Dylan, uh, and, and now his stats are even even higher to the outside eye. So I could see him being like a the wrong team, or the, the right team for us, talking themselves into him, and on a contract where he's his counting stats are more than the million of dollars he's making, I could see him being a piece going forward to trade. I think, and this is just me being like super taking my stance on it, but I think the second that we trade in, we will be, regardless of who we get back, I think we'll be a better team to show for it. Um, my, my, my theory is that if we give other people on our team currently just Dylan shots, that we'll, we'll still be able to replicate those 20 points in wins in a more efficient manner to where it more consistently translates to wins. Like, I'd rather Jaron take Dylan's, all of Darren's Dylan three-point attempts, um, honestly. But, and we'll see what Justice does. But yeah, I'm I'm firmly in the anti Dylan camp. Yeah, it would be fascinating to see Jaron take you know six, all six of those threes per game. I mean, at the forty percent that he's at right now, I mean, there's several more threes that you're going to see. Which I mean, you don't he's shooting five points better than Dylan is from three, so you don't like lose anything there, and that's supposed to be the strength of where Dylan helps you. His like. Effective field goal percentage to usage rate is just really eye-opening, I think. Like cleaning the glass, he's in the 20th percentile for effective field goal uh, for wings. And for usage, he's in like the 80-something percentile. It just goes to his severe lack of efficiency. Yeah, and it's the one of the rare times where the eye test matches the stats. He just looks – I mean, he's – fucking frustrating to watch play basketball and i i get so frustrated and and anytime he does the the right things and we say jokingly good dylan and bad dylan and like but it's so the good dylan's i find myself just saying so rarely comparatively to the bad dylan's and i hate the fact that i have to do that for a player that plays such a main offensive role in our team i'd rather just like you know spurs fans talk about how ginobili was like that but no he not like this this is like a whole new level of frustrating but just think about him being added. If Okay, say, for instance, Melton doesn't work out. And, you know, for example, we traded for Buddy Heald, who's the one trade this year I would not mind. I don't see it happening, especially after us getting justice. But say, for instance, you get that move over the next year or so. And then you have at least one year of Dylan plus Grayson plus Brandon plus Tyus as a quartet of players with another stretch for big um, in that second lineup. The versatility and, and, and the possibility is endless. 
Because you put in Dylan's self-sufficiency to at least get his shot and his defensive effort in that second unit against other teams' second unit, that Grizzlies bench already is one of the best in the NBA. It gets even better. And that's a needed thing as our starting unit continues to develop around John Jaron. So that's why I do think Dylan does have value in this league. I think he has good potential to be an above-average sixth man, and that could be something that the Grizzlies find value in. Uh, but, but I do agree, at the end of the day, his inefficiencies need to be more in short spurts than they do in you know 30 to 35 minutes a night, like Zach mentioned. And, and you know the statistics as well, when you look at the players around the league who averaged the shots and the threes that he took, if it's like a group of 50 or a group of 40, Dylan is in the bottom three to five when it comes to effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, overall field goal percentage, you know, assist to turnover ratios, things like that. You know, there's just not a lot of quality, even though there's plenty of quantity. And I just think that screams six man. But I do think he has value in that role for the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies could use that in time. Agree. You bring up Buddy Heald, which is kind of one of the the more realistic slash that combination of maybe realistic slash exciting for for this current rendition of the Grizzlies uh, free agent guys. Um, I know we talk Bradley Beal sometimes pie in the sky, and we had an argument on our podcast about that. Um, and I don't actually think that would be a possibility, but it's just like a kind of an alluring thought. But Buddy is more possible. He, he's on he's in, on a Sacramento team. He doesn't like he doesn't like to coach. He doesn't like. Being there, he's kind of just expressed his desire to get out. He's obviously a dead-eye shooter um, on kind of a contract that might be a little too much depending on uh, depending on who you are and what you think of it. But it is like, what, around 20, 22, 24 million or something like that over three or four years. And there's a theory that maybe Sacramento wants to get off that deal and trade him out of there and maybe would be willing to attach picks to get off. I don't think the market's going to be that bad for him, I think. I think like the 76ers, for example, might even put together a package to get him, uh, which might include trading Al Horford to get off that contract. What, what's the what's the most you would give for Buddy, um, Sean, and in, in a in a in a deal for Buddy? What would you put together? What's the most you would do to get Buddy right now on this team? I probably I would not be disappointed to put Dylan Gorgie in the Utah first in there to get him. That, that, I think, especially with the cost control and the declining contract from the mid-20s to the upper teens that you get with Heald over the next four years, I think that that is far more valuable than Dylan and Gorgie and that Utah first long term. Now, I think what it comes down to is nobody really debates that. You know, I don't think that anybody would debate that would be a good deal for the Grizzlies, but do they want to commit to Heald and then really sit out over the next few years the chance to add something that's a bit better than Heald, perhaps? But if the Grizzlies add Heald and they miss the playoffs next year and then you add another lottery pick to our treasure trove of assets already, I think there's a lot of good value in that. That really, I think that the certainty you would gain from that puts you on a level going forward as a sustainable winner that's a pretty good ideal scenario compared to just what you could do with the financial flexibility. I know people have Duncan Robinson dreams and, you know, with stuff such as that. But in terms of overall value, I think Heald, you know, probably is not to the level of Robinson when he was shooting this year or this past year, but I'd be fine with it. If you did Dylan, Gorgie, and the Utah first, that may be a little bit of an overpay, but I, I still would not mind it, though I think the Grizzlies, which I can see, I think the Grizzlies still prefer just to have that flexibility next year. Yeah, I think they're going to be patient. I think that's always like we, we can concoct these trades till the cows come home, and we do, and it's fun. 
but like ultimately nothing's going to happen. And that's what I need to just prepare myself mentally for. Um, and that th- th- they'll, they'll sit back and maintain their flexibility. A lot of people talk about next year and there being more free agents and there is, but what my, my, my question is to what end is flexibility valuable to the team like a Memphis Grizzlies? Um, it's not as valuable if you're not a free agent destination, which the Grizzlies have never been. You're not just going to lure people away. You have to trade for them and soak up your cap space that way. So who's available next year as an expiring or someone that we could trade for that isn't this year, I guess, is my question. Sorry, I'm trying to, no one knows. I'm trying to link in, I'm trying to get link in Casey to this. uh, Yeah. I, I just, a lot of people talk about 2021. I just don't know who that means for the Grizzlies. I mean, obviously I don't think we'll be in the Giannis sweepstakes, um, uh, I think KD and uh, maybe Kawhi and PG have like quit one and one type deals that might make them free agents again in 2021. But those are just those are the most pie in the sky type guys. Um, the problem with the Grizzlies now is that they're John Jaron make them good enough to where the theory of getting like another top three or four pick unless we lucked up into it is unlikely unless the West is just so good next year, which it might be. And maybe it just kind of works, works itself out where they compete but just can't put together enough wins and then are able to add the next guy via the 2021 draft, which everyone thinks is pretty good comparatively to the last few drafts. Um, and that would be, that would be great. Uh, but, but where it's possible, we're just like a 30 something win team that doesn't make the playoffs like this year. And then we're picking late lottery where the odds of adding a guy are substantially lower. And then we might be, st- we might be stuck in, a little bit of a situation there unless we can strike gold like the heat did and get the, you know, the guys that are like middle of the, the bam out of bios of the world that are in the middle of the round there. Um, but I think our best bet is trading for guys like buddy trading for guys that are undervalued in their current situations and putting them with this team. And I mean, I, I think buddy would be just a really good fit. And for the rest of his deal, we have him for his prime. He ends up rolling off when he's like 30. We could re-sign him to a lower deal if we liked his fit and he really got along with the team or trade up as an expiring to a team that's closer to contending at that point. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I I open the floor to any other possible trades or what you'd like to see the Grizzlies do in the offseason or what you see being the best thing for next season, Sean. Well, and I mean, you, when you look at these contracts, you know, you would. there's so many names out there that you really could see. The Levines, the Bookers, the Beals, the Oladipos, um, you know, so on and so forth. The Robinsons in free agency. Yeah, you know, you can make trades for those. But when you look at it, you're going to have to give up Brandon Clark for the majority of those guys to get them. That's not really ideal for the Grizzlies. You're go- If you trade for those guys, what are you going to get them for? A year or so? And then you're going to have to hope that they'll re-sign plus have to fit their contract into John and Jaron's first extensions? You know, does that make sense? The other part of it is, is that when it comes to looking at these trades, I mean, you know, what picks are going to, you know, be there, especially like you said, Sam, how are John and Jaron going to impact that? So I think the trade, I think the trade is likely to be the route to go. I've always said, and that's what gets me back to Buddy, is that I think when you look at it from that perspective, the cost control of him through his prime really makes sense. The timing may not be the best. We may still be a year or two too early to make the type of trade. But having Buddy in the fold already, I think that, again, that's a really good scenario compared to what you can do next year. But the other thing that I've always seen the Grizzlies is, is this. Jaw is fine to build around as your primary piece at the moment. 
But when you really think of the Grizzlies turning into a championship contender, how many teams over the past 30 to 40 years have won with the point guard being their primary talent? The, the, the Warriors come to mind, but they had two other potential Hall of Famers, one surefire in Clay Thompson, maybe another one in Draymond, and of course, you know, another surefire one in Kevin Durant. They had that supporting Curry. You had Kyle Lowry. He needed um, Kawhi Leonard. You have um, uh, Kyrie Irving. He needed LeBron. I think the Grizzlies are more of a team whose future as a title contender really steps, uh, really points out them being like the Raptors, where they've got all the supporting pieces there. They've got to make that one big move to land a marquee free agent for at least a year and make a true title run to go for it. I think that's their peak at this moment unless they draft just another really, really significant talent. I'm not trying to cap what they can do. That's just my outlook. But as far as trading for these guys, that's why I think he'll still you know, maintains relevance is how long you can control him compared to these other bigger names that may not be here for as long. Yeah, I think that uh, that's that's definitely astute. I think that the that's something we've compared the Grizzlies to is that that the Raptors team. You have homegrown talent trade for a super duper star for one year on a rental and hope that you can do it then. I, I do think that you know something we discuss is that John Jaron are probably not close to where we need him to be for for that sort of rental, and that day will come. Um, we hope, uh, but we but at the same time, like and, and my point for the longest time has been that right now they aren't on their their rookie extensions that we do have a lot of cap space. So we can kind of like just take swings that we otherwise couldn't um, when they end up getting those extensions and then eventually probably get maxed uh, when we can't like bring on maybe a third max guy like that for like the Raptors could only do it because like their, their second or third best player, Pascal Siakam wasn't on a max. They had, or they had uh, Kyle Lowry on a max and then um, they could bring Kawhi in, but their role players weren't yet. Uh, getting paid too much. So we need to be careful where whatever that time rolls around that we can even do something like that. But Zach, did you have any luck getting Casey in? Yep. He's done. He's in now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's all fun to, to talk about and speculate about, but I'd certainly rather the team be good now and have the pieces to be good now and surround John Jerry with winning. I think there's a lot of intangible value to that. Um, but for your young players that, that are hungry and want, seemingly want to win. And Buddy does that for sure. Um, but also, to your point, Sean, I don't know if that allows us to get the third wing that we need or the second or third or first best player uh, to win on a team that's predominantly point guard dominated. I mean, maybe we hope Jaron turns into that, turns into more of like a a playmaker uh, on the wing as opposed to like a, a three-point shooting big. Um, but we can't assume that. And you know, the last time that a point guard dominated team won a title was probably like, a, I mean, that wasn't Steph Curry because Steph Curry's maybe the best yeah, shooter in the history of time. You know, yeah. The, yeah. His three point shooting obviously just completely changes the game from what you even think of. It's not like necessarily a point guard, a specific skill. Right. Yeah. And, and it was, was Isaiah Thomas with the Pistons in the late eighties. So, and that's so long ago. And then maybe, maybe you could argue Chauncey Billups on that Pistons team. Um, but that's, that's such an anomaly. And that was such a evenly dominated team um, from player to player. Um, so I, I, you're right. We, we are going to need that wing guy. And it's a, it's a weird, it's kind of a weird position to be in. It's like, you're, you're better. You're too good sooner than you, you kind of wish you were. Um, but again, like I said before, maybe it takes care of itself next year and maybe they just lose enough games just by virtue of being that young and the West being that good. And 
And it's also wonderful to have a front office that you have the faith in. And that's why I'm okay if we don't make the move for Heald and have this financial flexibility. Because who could have expected us to sit here and basically off the the, um, uh, Gasol and Conley trades create a supporting cast in one summer for John and Jaron to have together, you know, over the next few years. Nobody expected that, but yet it happened. So if that financial flexibility is there, especially if we get a valuable pick in next year's draft to go along with the Warriors future pick and the, and the uh, Jazz's future pick, now you're working with something. And so I think that that's the other factor to think of is that this front office finally has the creativity. It legitimately climbed and finished sixth in the executive of the year voting for a reason, because he showed elite level creativity with his moves and it came from having that cap space available and exceptions and all that stuff you know at a time where he capitalized up other teams needs and i think we could do similar things next year so i think that that's another added benefit of keeping you know not making the you know cost control move too soon though healed is very attractive that financial flexibility there may be something better out there than we know of due to the creativity of our yeah we're in a good spot there i I think that the question is, in your package, like if that's the best package that we could get, we could get healed for that package. I mean, I don't think you're getting any sort of consistent guy like healed with that Utah pick. Um, so really, you're you're getting almost a, a swap for a, whatever that guy would end up being that for Utah first rounder late late twenties, you would assume. Uh, you know, and you're getting Buddy healed for that. Um, you're getting off a few contracts that probably help you. I mean, obviously, Gorgie Dang's not doing anything for you. Um, he's kind of a, a good, a good expiring we have to match salaries. And then, um, I think you're upgrade, you're obviously upgrading Dylan. You're taking away Dylan's bad things and upgrading his three point shooting, which is his good thing. So I, I see that as a complete win, win, win. You're giving up a little flexibility, but that's assuming you're going to do anything with it anyway. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think we could talk more positively about that possibility. Zach, was there any other things that you wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about? So Casey in the chat has a question for you guys. He said, do you think that Clark and Brooks will be worth less in trade value than Beal in two to three years? Meaning, should we trade for Beal now because he will, A, make us better now, and B, we'll have more trade value out of him? I don't see Casey in the chat, but, uh, yeah, like uh, my thing with that is, you know, I'm like all about trading for Beal now and just – trading a bunch of first rounders, all the first rounders that you could basically within the time that you have Beal, um, because those are basically kind of worthless first rounders. I know that, you know, first rounders are always worth something, but they're late first round picks where you definitely would not get a player of Beal's caliber. And then the low key part of it is then when Beal in year three of this deal is an expiring, he's a trade asset. Um, then, then you're, then you're basically sitting in Washington shoes or New Orleans when they had Anthony Davis on his last year, and you might be able to lure someone to replenish your, basically replenish your cabinet of picks and other assets um, that you traded to get him in the first place. That's assuming Washington would even do that. I, I don't think they'll do that without getting a like a, a super good player that that Brandon Clark isn't quite. Well, Sam, I'm not sure if you're. I'm not sure if you went out or not. My my take is is that um, you know it's too early to go all in because if you're if you're in year three and then Beal is has his contract done in twenty two twenty three is he likely to stay in Memphis? You know history would suggest not, and it's going to take at least um, Clark plus our Utah first and our Golden State first, likely another first of ours 
to be able to get Beal. So you're not only taking a key component to our success from you know our core in Beal, but also the ability to add to it in the future, all for the chance to gain a player who maybe what makes you at best the fifth or sixth person in, or the fifth or sixth team in the West in which you still likely have to go through an L.A. team over the next two years or a Denver team over the next two years who you're going to have very low odds to beat. I just don't think that the overall ceiling that this team has with Beal is worth not only trading one of its most precious assets in a cheap Brandon Clark over the next three years now, plus the ability to hit on picks in the future. I think that the Grizzlies, yes, they'll eventually have to trade for a talent like Bill to have a championship contender, but it's not now. I just do not see it happening right now because I just don't think the payoff in terms of them having odds in their favor to truly challenge for a championship will be there over the rest of Bill's. You know that the, the I, I I agree that's ultimately what's going to happen. The, the weird thing is, is that Brandon Clark is like two and a half years younger than Beal. Like that, that, that's that's honestly kind of crazy to think about with how old how old Brandon Clark was, and that was like the biggest knock on him. Um, and you know when you come into the league like that as a rookie that old, and then you have someone that comes in at the nineteen year old like Beal did, and it's just like that difference. And it feels like Beal would be like ten years older uh, just by virtue of NBA experience. But yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah, it's hard to believe how old Brandon Clark is. My whole thing, though, is that if you can get a shooter to Bill's extent next year and add him to a Brandon Clark contract that you'll have for like, what, $10 million total over the next two years beyond this year, that plus all your assets, that's a far, far more advantageous position to be in than having Bill and over owing him $70 million over the two years after this next year. That's what, what do you think about the notion of having Beal on that third year? Let's say he opts in to the whatever it is, like 38 or something. Um, and with the with the intention that the Grizzlies would trade him elsewhere. Say, hey, really fun playing with you, John Jaron. Enjoyed making those playoffs, getting you guys some run and some big games. Um, you know, you guys have a lot of future, but I want to go to a contender right now that can win a title. Opt in, Grizzlies trade me somewhere, and then – the theory would be is that the Grizzlies would then be able to recoup some of those assets. Do you think there's any credibility to that? Or do you think that he would just opt out and walk and leave the Grizzlies holding the bag? I think if you do that, the other thing to consider is the narrative. And there's a lot more downside to a narrative than there is upside. I agree with being able to recoup, you know, what you, what you paid for Bill, but what you're going to pay for Bill now at his peak, it's likely going to be harder to get that later on in his career. Plus, if you're trading a needed piece for when John Jaron are closer to their contention window, you're now trading him for assets. What message does that send John Jaron when they're getting to the point to where you're truly going to have to show them you want them to be kept around? I think that's a risky run if you go for that home run piece too early. So in theory, in a vacuum, what you're saying is correct with Bill all day long. I get it. It makes sense. But that other piece there in the narrative of, Okay, now we're closer to the contention window with John Jaron, but yet we're going to trade a needed piece for more assets to try to find another needed piece. I think that slope, and so that's why I wouldn't necessarily. I think that there's more risk involved with going that route than just sticking with the route that you have and trying to add a very intriguing two guard or long term complement to Jaw without having to trade Clark. Yeah. No, that'd be the most ideal is if you could have your cake and eat it too. And maybe that, maybe Buddy is that. Obviously, he's not a 30 point per game scorer like Beal is, um, but he is a, a guy that can play his role and would obviously fit what we need. So we'll see what happens. Um, 
I really like your thought else? process, though, on, on the Buell thing. I, I wasn't trying to criticize that just for, with the John Jaring situation. I think that you've also got to play that card. But I really like what you're thinking with Buell. I think that it's that type of creativity that makes you. Yeah, especially when you're the Grizzlies, you have to take swings like that. I think we're in a u- unique position where we have two guys on rookie deals that are playing well above their pay. And when that happens and you can't get free agents, you have to sort of do stuff like that and think creatively to use your use your money wisely. Um, and I think there's a lot more to a lot of people say, like, what's the ceiling with Beal on this team? And, yeah, it's probably a five or six seed. But then you're playing in big time games and John Jay get, are getting those experiences, which are very valuable. Um, I think Beal would be a good guy to, for these guys to be around. Uh, I mean, our, our colleague Mason thinks that maybe Beal would try to alpha jaw and take the ball out of his hands. And but we saw him play with John Wall uh, in a very complimentary role. And I think it would be that, that he would be welcome more as a superstar vet than any sort of like presence, unwanted presence. Um, the bet, the ceiling of that trade would be awesome. It would be we get all that experience. We win games. John Jaron are excited. We trade Beal um, when he he opts in and trades. We trade him for all of the first rounders back that we traded. Uh, and then maybe a, a guy like a, a equivalent of like a Brandon Ingram for like the Anthony Davis trade, you know, that's kind of what I would compare it to. Um, you trade Anthony Davis to like a team that like maybe the, the Mavericks that are like closer to winning. And then they say, Hey, we'll give you like our young player that might be an all-star. Um, and then, so then you ha- have a guy that matches John Jaron's age uh, and you know, you have your, your, your cover back up. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's ultimately assuming the best case scenario, which I don't think you can ever do um, properly. We just need to sit there and let number one in 2021 get Kate Cunningham and call it a day. Hey, guys. Yeah, I mean, that'd be ideal. <laughs> it's yeah, that play- or, or Jalen Green. You know, I, that would be awesome. And maybe that's going to happen. I, that would be – we struck gold once before. We've, we've, we've jumped up uh, into the, the high stratosphere before. Or maybe we just lose enough games next year. I don't know. Sean, <laughs> it's, 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 you got to head out. Yeah, I would love the chance to talk with y'all again. It's great to put some names with some faces in uh, the, the Grizzlies' uh, beat world and in coverage. Y'all are great. It was a pleasure talking with y'all. Hopefully, it'll happen again soon. Thanks, y'all. That was a course, pleasure. Thanks. You too. Yeah. So I also put uh, a link to a podcast that we did a couple of weeks ago where we went pretty in-depth about the Brad Beal you know, situation or potential to Memphis in the discussion if anyone's interested in hearing some more debate about that. And, uh, and they obviously will be, given that we've been so riveting on this this particular show that they'll want to go check out our, our category, or I'm sorry, our catalog, our back catalog of stuff um, and all of that. So I uh, that's all I got today. I don't know. We're, we're coming up on an hour. It's probably too long to, uh, to keep going. But we uh, look forward to keeping the, the Grizzlies talk going and, Hopefully, get some more involvement throughout our experiences here on the uh, the locker room. That. Yep, had a good time, Sam. I'll talk to you later. Now I got to figure out how to end this thing. Cue cool eggs uh, outro music. Yeah, are you not going to rap? I assume that you were just going to rap as an outro. Don't do that. Actually, let's just let me hang up. All right, y'all. Talk soon.